If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey folks, Mark here. Um, still asking for money. Um, I know everyone's struggling at the moment. Um, you know, everyone's falling upon hard times. We really enjoy making this podcast and we, we love the fact that you listen and, you, and that you keep continuing to listen. And to all the people that are already donating as little as $2 a month, thank you so much. If you feel as though you're in a place to do that, we'd really appreciate it. Um, a couple of our guys, specifically Weaver and Chris, um, they work in the arts industry and specifically in live music um, so we really have no idea when they're going to be able to go back to work at all really so anything you can do to help lighten the load would be super appreciated all you got to do is go to unsungpod.net forward slash donate check out our Patreon over there and if you're feeling a bit willing then just uh, give us some cash thank you That feels like it's been a long week, doesn't it? Um, let's not dilly-dally around. Last week we started talking about Jay Dilla. We spoke about his entire career up to this album, Donuts. Some of the highlights, some of the things he'd done, why he's so influential. And this week we're going to unpack Donuts itself as a record. So, well, let's get into it. So, Bert, do you want to take a wee dig into the album then, some detail? 
Yeah, so let, let's do it, man. Um, it's hard to go into too, it's hard to go into a lot of detail on some of the tracks because it's not just the case that there's so much going on on them. It's just that yeah. they're so short. I mean, yeah, I think it's it kind of works more as an overall discussion than you know a forensic examination. Yeah, <laughs> thirty minute, uh, thirty second snippet, but. Yeah. The coolest thing about the record, right off the bat, is it's in reverse order and it is actually a circle, like a donut. Yeah. The last track ends with the with I think it, I think this I think that album ends like the beat right before the first beat. Yeah, it's the same. The it's like a thirteen second song. sample or something. That, that, mm-hmm. Yeah. And the first track's called outro and the the last one's called intro or something. Can I just a couple of like kind of more general observations about the this album and the kind of sound and a wee bit the, the context? I know that. In, in Detroit, before he moved to LA, he had a pretty sweet studio setup. Especially, apparently, he had like a for for the time a really state the art Pro Tools setup. And doing a bit of stuff in the studio as well, you know, you do get really comfy. And the studio, in a lot of ways, your own setup determines a lot of aspects of your own product. Mm-hmm. And if you have like a very high end studio, you can end up with a very high end product, and vice versa. So going to LA was advantageous, but it was a brave decision because he was leaving a comfort zone from a production perspective. He was going to, he was going from high end to a very minimalist setup in LA. He ended up out there with just a few bits of kit, like quite quite a, a, a limited repertoire of stuff that he was able to use. We'll talk about a couple of bits of bobs in detail, but um, that actually began to really inform the music he was making as well so whilst some of the, the production stuff around the late 90s like the, the Janet Jackson stuff and all that was actually quite high end um, and even into the 2000s this this whole kind of much more organic as we said unquantized um, maybe even just just even though it was digital equipment, there's a more of an analogue feel. Um, he stopped, uh, fr- from a technical uh, perspective, he stopped using things like gates, and gates are things that kick in, so in between notes or in between beats or sounds, they try and eliminate as much of the background noise as possible, and he tried to st- st- stop using them, so he had a lot more kind of noise bleeding into his mixes, so your cymbals decayed more naturally, you, you would hear a bit of the cymbal on the kick drum mic and all that kind of stuff, obviously he's working from samples, but by not using gates, you're not cleaning up, you're not doing that kind of very sanitised mix, and that is also consistent with this whole idea to allow the things like the bass beats and that to drift. It, the, the music just started to acquire a much a much rougher at the edges sort of sound that's it's now very much associated I think with him and it's mm-hmm. started to really I mean it's started to inspire a lot of other musicians I don't, I don't think for example we'd hear a lot of him and Pharrell instantly but Pharrell says he's the his favourite producer of all time I mean the guy's the techniques the guy's uh, take on that imprecision uh, was was pretty innovative it was, it was really inspiring for people yeah and I, I think Lyrically, the album is an instrumental album technically, but it's not really an instrumental album. A lot of samples are very, very deliberately chosen. The track titles tell a wee story. There's a lot of him making his piece on this. It's evident. Hell yeah. mm-hmm. he, he clearly knows what's what's happening to him uh, from a health perspective. I, I did actually encounter people who were quite honest, big fans of his, who were quite honest about their initial reactions to the album and said they were quite disappointed because he was at such a high point in his career uh, just prior to this record or prior to working on this record and they felt that when this came out, some of the samples for example are very very long (laughs) 
there were there were people that were like this was just not a guy working at a high level this was like lazy huge long clumsy untreated samples it was just something very cluttered and sort of erratic and and rough about it that they, they, they actually felt like a little bit let down but then I mean, clearly he died three days after this came out and the whole album acquired a completely different context in retrospect that I think is quite interesting because then you see why a lot of those decisions were made, um, how this was meant to sum up a lot of things in his life, including the, his musical heritage, where he'd come from. But then also so many of the lyrics and the long samples were telling a story. I mean, there's some really playful use of samples in this. Did you hear mm-hmm. the one that's uh, light a joint? You yeah. heard that one, and um, mm-hmm. is, is death real? Things like that, where he's taken mm-hmm. vocal parts and he's so precisely cut them. Like he's such a, a craftsman, a master craftsman, that he's able to just snip a couple of syllables or consonants out of a, a, a word, and then you know turn it into a completely different message. People started to kind of realise what was actually going on with this record, that it was much bigger than just another project for him. It was much bigger than just his next series of beats and chops. And I think. Uh, it joined like a very small certainly for the time a very small clutch of people working in hip hop where the meaning in the lyrics wasn't just overt i mean like i'm not I don't, i'm not trying to be disrespectful but a lot of lyrics in hip hop are surface level the the, the whole the, the nature of the lyric is this is what I'm talking about, whether it's political, whether it's simply kind of braggadocio, whether it's just good time music. The lyrics are often very much on the surface. This is this is what we're getting yeah. at. And even though this doesn't have lyrics, the, the, the vocal samples lent themselves to reinterpretation uh, uh, posthumously in a way that a lot of hip-hop stuff just didn't, certainly didn't at the time. I think that's changed somewhat, where the, the metaphorical kind of poetic side of it has become much more prominent now. Uh, as the genres sort of changed but certainly at, at this period uh, hip hop was on the surface lyrically speaking and he was even taking this record to another level in that respect so that's that's something that I think was overlooked in a lot of the different uh, uh, analyses of it that only a couple of people picked up on but I think it's quite it, it really merits sort of consideration I think it's also worth underlining that this record was written in a hospital ward mm. just unrecorded in, in a very small space so yeah he basically had no. one sampler there's a thing called a boss mm-hmm. SP303 it's, I think it's called a doctor sample or something like that and it's like a kind of budget like most boss stuff it's a sort of slightly budget version of um, a Roland MS1 uh, and that like, he, he had that he had a a, 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 a turntable a bunch yeah. of 45s and a laptop Leaves such a minimalist setup to do this, and and as as a result, it's it's a record with it's got more life than most hip hop records have. Period, and I include some of the ones I really like in in, in that category too. Um, it's it's just well, it could even be argued that it well, I mean, it is a hip hop record, but it's also very much a neo soul record. You know, his yeah. his use of samples and his use of you know the vocal samples to build that narrative does give it that personality that a hip-hop record might not necessarily have yeah i mean mm-hmm. and let's let's take in a kind of wider perspective in this as well we we're talking about the influence and people like the guy from tortoise and things like that but even just like friend of the pod ben blank mass that whole approach to micro cutting into vocals and reassembling them into new vocal lines played vocal lines this is like one of the pioneers of that. Like he was, yeah. and this album specifically, was one of the, the first really triumphant attempts at doing that. 
in that sort of beat heavy environment and that has informed a whole host of great music that's come off the back of it that doesn't fall necessarily under the category of hip hop yeah like uh, even on, on the surface even like if you, if you take it like a, a level further is further is, is also he's like distorting some of these samples as well and he's like changing almost like the the modulation of them too So he's he's not just like taking and being really clever at taking the minutest like down to the probably the, the millisecond right like As the he lines, apparently he called it baby hairs by the way. So <laughs> um, sorry I don't want to get too geeky about it, but there's a little story about him when they were transferring from different Pro Tools platforms. There's different aspects of the plugins can sometimes mismatch, and so your your files can slightly move along in the mix. And supposedly his ear was so good that he used to shout out to the engineer to move like move the baseline four bo- baby hairs to the left, move the vocal <laughs> one baby hair to the right, and. I actually know what he means by that. It's like when you zoom in really, really tight on the mix, yeah. you, know, you get the subdivisions of seconds, then milliseconds, and then it gets really, really small. But it matters in music; it really does. You can really hear it. And so he'd he'd use a, he'd refer it in baby hairs from a distance as well, not even looking at the screen. <laughs> Let's talk about some of the highlights on this record. I think it's probably a good place because the whole thing does work together as a suite. Even though to me it sounds like a radio station, it sounds like you're, it sounds like you're like you're going through like the band on a radio station, you know, and you're yeah, getting definitely. different snippets of different stations. Yeah, I've heard it referred to as that tuning through radio stations in a in an unfamiliar city is the phrase. Yeah, and uh, that is the best way of putting it because you're only getting short samples of sometimes you're only getting like two or three syllables from a song, and it's underneath a beat. Or a synth part from another, a completely different song, or probably even one that he's written himself. To be honest, there's also he, he used vocal, like he used samples from adverts in this, which yeah. I think even mm-hmm. further contributes to that. You know, like taking the kind of the jingle from an advert and turning it into part of your song just accentuates that radio vibe. So the, the biggest song in this record, or the, the most well-known song in this record, sorry, is Working On It, which is the second track. For obvious and, reasons, yeah. Yeah, and there's there's some crazy beat samples in that, and the production is, is staggering as well. All the synths down the left side, and the mix is just so well balanced. The bass is on the right, and then you've got like this sort of counter melody to the bass and the left channel as well, and then the vocal sample just sits really nicely in the mix. It gives like a real sense of cohesion, and it's all these disparate parts. And then yeah, and then towards the end, you've got Beastie Boys, you've got Ten CC, you've got Malcolm yeah. McLaren in there. <laughs> Like he's yeah, not the, afraid to go deep in his forty-five collection. Well, this is the other thing as well that I'd seen him sort of applauded for, uh, and also one of the beefs that people had when this came out, they felt that some of the samples are a bit twee and a bit obvious. They were like, "Oh, come on, ten cc, that's so crap," you know. But then they 
it acquired a new significance when you realised the messaging behind the album that um, he didn't have to dig for the most obscure samples which a lot of people that are doing mm-hmm. you know, beat makers do they, they're like oh I've got this ultra obscure clapping noise from this limited edition single from like 1971 that he was like oh, I'll take it from wherever he'd, he'd apparently made uh, there, there was a challenge that he'd set which was I can make a beat from any tune just tell me the tune and I believe there's a he was challenged by Common. No, but he was challenged by someone. I can't remember who challenged him to make a a beat that was unrecognisable from uh, the Rick James tune. Um, oh God, what's it called? Anyway, a famous Rick James tune. And then it was so good that he did it for this challenge, and it was so good that Common ended up using it for one of his, <laughs> his songs. I just Motherfucker, move back. I pursue rap at the pace of a new jack. It's miscellaneous numbers and shoes stack. Bruce rap, I deliver for the hungry and underprivileged. Something different from these hollering, grunting niggas. This is business strictly. Step to my business. Um, so his, his whole thing was, I, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not an elitist here. I'm not. I don't care where. Like we can find beats, we can find these inspirations anywhere. It doesn't have to be obscure, but equally, it doesn't have to be dead obvious. Like mm-hmm. you just have to use our imaginations. It's just, that's pretty amazing. One of the cool things I like about this record is it's got that this song has got that kind of weird foghorny thing from um, the King of the Beats by Mantronics, right? Which is throughout this record, it really and he keeps. keeps coming back to the same artists on different songs as well and sometimes it's a completely different sometimes you would never even tell it's the same song that he's used you know that Mantronics one is just one the Beastie Boys one which is on this comes up again on the album there's this uh, there's a Skills and Razzcast song Six Figures which is on at least six tracks on this record there's a sense of cohesion throughout it as well even though it is like radio station in a different city like mm-hmm. he's, he's pulling from the same stuff so you can tell he's thinking about it and uh, kind of rewarding the listener if you can figure out where it's from and where I'm coming back to it you know there's significance to so many different levels in this record which is kind of why I like it um, Waves is also a good example of that like the vocal sample in it is basically incomprehensible It's like really hypnotic, you know, um, and then like the guitar sample that's in the background of it, it gets cut off at such a such a um, specific point that the cut off itself becomes part of the beat. So like the pause keeps continuing. So it's like you've got the beat and then a counter beat with like this one exact chop, and it makes this kind of weird syncopation, which he, he does a lot in this record. You know, I don't know. I love the pulse of the album. The whole album's got a really good pulse. I think you know. Yeah, I definitely think it breathes. I think I think like the dynamic of the whole record is 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 brilliantly done. Yeah, somehow he gets like one minute fifteen second tracks to like have small movements throughout them, <laughs> which is weird in itself. Mm-hmm. Um, other ones stop, which has got like that kind of Dion Warwick sample. Yeah. <laughs> 
and it sounds mental next to that kind of rapping by Jadakiss. And the beat that he's made for it really, co- really complements that Dion Warwick song. Mm-hmm. And it kind of makes you really nod your head. Yeah, I mean, to like this R and B song, which is like totally like a completely different speed and like genre from what you listen to. That's is death real as well, isn't it? Yeah, that's mm-hmm. that's the kind of sample of the art. Yeah, totally. And then the difference is a really good example of how his production technique like works for him. That kind of feels quite singly as well. He uses two cool in the gang songs, and um, the, the horns from one of them. He's got uh, the horns from the fruit from Jungle Boogie, I think, and then yeah. the, the bass from the, the Fruit Man. And then that's got six yeah. figures in it as well. That's yeah. like another where that reappears. <laughs> yeah, so it's like a really kind of old school R and B kind of bop with like a total disco hip hop matchup. It sounds like nonsense when you say it like that, but that's just what it is, <laughs> you know? What other songs do you want to dig into here, guys? There's so fucking many. Um, MASH is quite cute. It's got that Frank Zappa sample at the start. Hey, he wants to get his girlfriend. Go get your girlfriend. Hey, and now you are going to dance like you've never danced before. <laughs> and then you've got kind of the piano on it. It's chopped up. Almost to the point where it's, it's modulated, almost to the point where it's almost atonal, mm-hmm. but not quite. And it's kind of got like this really warped and loungy sort of atmosphere, and it's kind of being moved in and out of key. It's oddly unsettling without it being too. And then Lightworks, that's one with the advert sample on it, you know, like the sort of the 50s TV sample. But it adds, yeah, kind of a weird, surreal edge to it a little bit. Yeah, but I don't know if you've had the original, but like he didn't. It doesn't sound like he's done too much to that one. Like the synth mm. sounds, he, he's actually taken them out of the record and just moved them in the mix. Yeah, because they're, they're actually in the original, and then put another beat and bass line on it, and it, it sounds like a completely different song. I like Glazed as well because it's got the really triumphant horns in it, and they sit really nicely in the mix. kind of repeats and repeats and repeats um, and then you get a snippet of something at the very end which then just vanishes completely and then you never hear it ever again and it's like what are you doing? The Twister actually has a CV Wonder drum sample on it and it's like so abrasive but it really compliment, it really stands out compared to the rest of the record, I think. It's got totally, really weird keyboardy shit in it as well. God, there's just so many things you could, you could totally geek out in this record. <laughs> I just, I, I, yeah, I walked around yesterday, went on a big walk with this record. I didn't know I had it on repeat, and I didn't realise until I was, I think I was on to, like, 
Thunder Gobstopper for the third time I looked and I was like oh I've just listened to this record two and a half times and I haven't noticed and I haven't got bored either it did the loop for me and I was just kept going and I was really happy with it yeah it just felt natural that it was like there were no like huge standout moments but there were just lots of bits where I was like I fucking love this bit and it didn't matter if it was later in the record and you were hearing it come up again or if it was at the start of the record and you'd heard it because you'd heard it a whole record ago do you understand what I mean it's like yeah mm -hmm. it just uh, works and it was just a it's a great record to just walk about with as well yeah different things jump out to you at different times you listen to it it, it definitely is something that rewards repeat listens I don't know if you I guess that's probably what you were hinting at Chris earlier on when you said you're you're glad you had like an extra week with it yeah it's probably a good time for me to clarify my my perspective on this (laughs) Um, so musically this album doesn't do anything for me right but I want to make it clear that I'm aware that that's my loss, okay, because uh, as an artist, as a backstory, as an innovator, um, just as an inspirational figure, Jay Dilla very, very much does. I've been blown away by the guy's story, I've been blown away by his creativity, just because it doesn't make me want to get up and dance, that's... You know, that's just my particular taste. You know, some people don't like olives. That's their loss, you know. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, like I said at the start, I was walking a fine line. I want to walk a fine line of really not underselling just how much of a yes this is for me. Albeit it's on a something of a cerebral level, but you cannot possibly have a, a, an unsung list and not have this guy on it. And you can't possibly not have this album on it. I mean, people I know who like hip hop are only vaguely familiar with this album, and that's that's inexcusable. Yeah, and it's it's interesting that every single hip hop artist that people love will love Jay Dilla. But yeah, I mean, so I mean, if we if we're going to do this unsung concept justice, this guy has to be on it. And if if the audience don't vote him in, then I'm just fucking walking out right, because he, he has to be there that doesn't mean I'm going to listen to this record but look, that's my problem, I just don't I just don't dig this kind of music, it just doesn't work for me, but I am able to like, walk and chew gum as they say, I'm able to say like, like I, just because I don't want to like, sit and jam out to this man, it's fucking amazing it's like it's amazing what this guy did, it's amazing what he did it with, it's his, his sheer level of craft and artistry is Staggering, and the guy has to be in there. So yeah, don't, I mean, it, the, the, it, what, there's so many other aspects to him as well. I mean, the um, in Washington D.C., what'd you call it? The uh, Smithsonian Museum of African American History and Culture. It has his MPC 3000 and his uh, was it a Mini Moog Voyager, his custom Mini uh, Moog synthesizer in it because he's such a an incredibly important figure. In, in African American art and pop culture and music, I mean the the guy is amazing. I mean, there's a fucking street named after him in Montpellier in France yeah. because he's such a legend. <laughs> it, 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 it's just off Aretha Franklin Avenue. You know, I mean, the guy is phenomenal. There's just no doubt that he's unsung. I mean, albeit yes, a lot of very high profile people praise him to the rafters, quite rightly so. And yes, I'm sure it's not news to anybody that's sort of really into the nitty gritty of hip hop. But the fact that the wider public aren't aware of him and his significance is, is just it's a little bit daft. And you know, I'm, I'm embarrassed that I didn't know more about him. But um, whilst I don't want to put the record on, that's completely that is completely distinct from the fact that. What a legend! He has to be in there. He has to be in there. It's a great choice. My favorite yeah, because sorry, you go. Sorry, I was just going to say my favorite uh, comment is on 
a YouTube, I think it's on one of the documentaries, and it just says, Dilla changed the way I tap on my steering wheel. <laughs> 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 which, um, yeah, which sounds stupid, but he fundamentally you know, changed or progressed the way that hip hop was produced. Yeah, I mean, there would be no Kendrick Lamar without without this guy. Mm-hmm. One of the biggest artists in the world would not exist without this guy. Yeah, you know, and I think he, he's unsung in two levels, right? He's unsung because he, he did a lot of work which he was not credited properly for. I, I kind of tend to think that maybe he he was definitely definitely got dazzled by the major label thing, and he knew that he would bite him in the ass eventually. And he spoke he'd spoken about that. He'd spoken about it before he died, um, which is unfortunate for sure. But he also got involved with a bunch of people who were clearly very influential and peers of his, who maybe didn't fully explain to him that he was above. You know, he's above like, like when it comes to production, like he's above everyone that he's worked with, really. It's just nobody better. Um, and he, he's worked with some amazing rappers like Q-Tip and all that. And, like, it's great stuff. But it's also unsung because this album is just... We could sit here and talk about all the standout moments in it. And it would take us, like, another... Probably another two podcasts. Just talk about every single standout song, record, sample on this entire fucking thing, right? So that's why we're not going through the whole track-by-track track thing. But he's unsung because his influence is legion, you know? It's, it's just, there is nobody in hip hop now that's not been touched by him um, that, who's not doing trap music. If you're not, if you're, if you're not like in the trap side of music, then they get, this guy is pretty much who you're probably getting your, your vibe from at some, in some way. If it's trap, it's probably DJ Screw, which we might come, uh, come up against in, a, yeah. a, in, a, in another episode. I'm behind that, um, yeah. But like, there's nobody said a bigger legacy on modern hip hop than this guy and also on jazz. Kamasi Washington, Flying Lotus, all of that, all those guys. Yeah, Thunder man. Cap. Yeah. Thundercat. Um, yeah, and also I think another, just one last way in which he's unsung is that I heard the point made, and it's a very salient point, that he really, really deserved to work uh, with, with, with some bigger names. As much as he worked with Q-Tip and some really like Madlib and people who are very well respected and were prominent, well, there is a track that was meant for Buster Rhymes that features Biggie Smalls uh, or Notorious B.I.G. That should have been the people he ended up working with. You spoke about Will Smith. I mean, that would have been what propelled him uh, to the level he probably deserves and to the recognition he probably deserves. Unfortunately, he didn't live long enough to get there. I'd like to apologise if anybody can hear knocking in the background, by the way. I just realised there that my neighbours are doing DIY. So I don't know how long it's been in the recording for. So <laughs> if you hear it, I'm sorry. I just ass- <laughs> assumed they were shagging. I didn't want to mention it. Uh, but um, yeah, it's a great choice, Mark. I'm, I'm totally behind it. As I said, I tried to make that distinction between wanting to listen to it and having nothing but the utmost respect for it. So, I think if you want a more quote-unquote straight-ahead musical record, then this is probably not the J. Dilla produced album or solo album that you want to go for. If you want like a, a legendary album, then this is it. So obviously it's a yes for me. Sold. Great. Yeah, a yes for me. Now, just put this out there. I managed to uh, get some of our absolute favourites into my Nexus this week. <laughs> oh well, did I'm intrigued. Dave, did you get Did you get Dave Grohl? I did. Yeah, you know, I didn't get Dave Grohl, but uh, I did manage to get both movies and uh, Nazis. <laughs> oh great! Well, I've got a murderer for hire. So, all awesome. right, we'll give it a shot. Mark, you're up yeah. first. It's time for the Nexus. Who's first? This is the first time we're seeing Nexus tonight. Will it be the last? What do they have in store for us? 
Why am I here? You're in the Nexus. This is the Nexus. For you. This is what you want. So, uh, we need to get from Jadella, um, try to connect Jadella to Rick to Life. A.K.A. Rick Healy of 25 to Life. Formerly of 25 to Life. Which yeah. will come up in my next. I, I think we just assumed this was another hip hop guy because his name's Rick to Life, but uh, we forgot that some of the hip hop, uh, some of the hardcore guys think they're hip hop. There was a good uh, hard hop songs. There was a good hard times article that I found that said yeah. uh, Rick to Life has embarrassed to realise uh, misspelling in his name. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I saw that as well. Yeah, uh, this was suggested by Davy Bright, by the way, a long-term listener. Uh, thanks for that, Davy. It's an interesting choice. <laughs> <laughs> so Mark, so, take it away Yeah, Jay Dilla, he never worked directly with The Roots But obviously Black Thought had appeared on a number of his tracks And he's one of the MCs in The Roots A big fan of his and also the drummer in The Roots is Questlove um, He's quite a well-known guy, as, as we've kind of alluded to Well, did you know in 2007 he took part in the Bonnaroo Super Jam At the Bonnaroo Music Festival Where he played a 90-minute set alongside Ben Harper and John Paul Jones Not bad Well, there you are John Paul Jones is a good friend with our own good friend, Mr. Dave Grohl, because uh, <laughs> <laughs> they played together on them Crooked Vultures. We've discussed this before. Dave Grohl did a solo project called, side project called Probot, which I think has been mentioned a few times oh back in the old God. days. Mark's resurrected the Grohl Nexus after Grohl killing Nexus. it. I know. Fucking Hexy's Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the people that are on that record is Tom G. Warrior of Celtic Frost. They're quite an influential three metal band. I think we touched upon them um, in the past as well. We've done some other bands. Um, they released their final record, Monotheist, in 2006 on Century Media Records. And do you know who also reduced, who also released albums on Century Media? A band called Fury of Five, and their singer Jason Stickman Ismin is the current singer of 25 to Life, the hardcore punk band formed by Rick to Life in 1991. Oh well, there you are, Jings. Um, I'll go up next So I All mean right. Jay Dilla Heavily influenced As we've talked about Flying Lotus And Flylo Himself has Paid homage to him Through Rapping on a song Called Paid Homage R.I.P. Jay Dilla He also wore A Jay Dilla Changed My Life t-shirt In his uh, Short film Until the quiet comes Flying Lotus Right I'm going to try and use A venue And me As a link here <laughs> I saw Flying Lotus In the ABC in Glasgow must have been five years ago. It was during the Your Dead tour, and uh, he played in like a big 3D box with 3D projections on him. And it was one of the greatest gigs I've ever seen in my entire life. It was unbelievable. The ABC in Glasgow, which was one of the many <laughs> buildings in Glasgow that has burnt to the ground uh, <laughs> in the last all 10 the time. years, just <laughs> always happening. Um, but it was. Uh, yeah, it was a victim of that second art school fire and just recently has been earmarked for demolition, much to it's the... Absolutely, it's absolutely full of rats, like full to the brim of rats, apparently. Oh, that's exciting. You know, I actually... Guess where they're going to go. <laughs> <laughs> Did you know I actually saw the original Toy Story in ABC when ABC was still a cinema in 1995? Wow. ABC used to be a porno cinema, David. 
Well, I saw a Toy Story there, <laughs> so maybe it's a different Toy Story. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, another gig, which another band which I have seen at ABC, and I actually interviewed. I didn't interview this band, but it was part of a a Taste of Chaos tour. <laughs> uh, I saw the band As I Lay Dying. Uh, yeah. It must have been about 2011, 2012, I'm not sure. That's so you. As Who I did, you interview? did you interview? Did you interview? I think him? I interviewed Horse the Band. Oh, man, they were mental. I yeah. seen them live once. So, they're crazy. Yeah, they were really quite crazy. Anyway, As I Lay Dying, American Christian metalcore band, uh, their singer Tim Lambesis, uh, he's just rejoined the band after spending time in jail for trying to have his wife murdered. I love this story. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, you should go deep into it. It is amazing. They had to cancel their uh, 2013 tour with Killswitch Engage because you should tell them how to get caught, Dave. Uh, I don't know how to get caught. Was it because he was on so many steroids? No, he got caught because he, he said to one of the guys in this gym that he wanted to have his wife killed and he told the FBI and then the FBI like poses a hitman to catch him. Oh, well, I mean, there you are. Absolutely fantastic. But apparently he said, I think his, his defence was that he, he's, his thought processes were devastatingly affected by his steroid use. <laughs> uh, you know, which is something else. Anyway, um... Tim Lombesis, uh he appeared on Jamie Jasta's debut solo album in 2011. Jamie Jasta being the vocalist of Hatebreed and also Kingdom of Sorrow. Uh, he's got a solo album. He's got a solo album, came out in 2011. What are his solo jams? Like piano led? Like Jamie Cullum style? Or? That's more of the same. <laughs> I think it uh, falls roughly within the metalcore genre. Uh, <laughs> I thought I was hoping he'd go like, really like lounge or something really you know off the wall. I'm afraid not. Funnily Funnily enough, enough, somebody else that also appears on that record is Randy Blythe, who who you yeah. saw in the ABC in 1995 in a porn film. <laughs> well, I don't think I've seen Lamb of God in ABC. I've seen Lamb of God live, but he was uh, found guilty by a Czech court for pushing a fan off stage who then died um, and then he's been acquitted ever since but uh, he actually got the job done unlike uh, Tin Lambesis <laughs> <laughs> I like the phrase he's been acquitted ever since <laughs> so it's <laughs> so like, 10 years into being acquitted somebody's like hey by the way he's guilty now anyway uh, Jamie Jasta uh, appears on the debut record by 25 to Life uh, released in 1999 uh, 25 to Life featuring a Mr. Rick to Life. Built. Okay. We know where this is going. Let's just hurry up and get there. Uh, Jay Dilla, uh, Biggie Smalls, uh, once sang a verse on a set of beats by Jay Dilla that was originally intended for Buster Rhymes' debut album, The Coming. Turn meat to minces, jumps turn to flinches. When I rain, I drenches, glitch your park benches, missed you by pinches. Your talk is senseless. Actor needs chiropractor for crack jaw. Yes, I rocked your chatterbox. Dangerous, you're not. I get down, twist your body. The, the, I think the track's is it a verse from a song called Juicy, which was like. Later used on Dangerous MCs with a different beat, the verse mm-hmm. anyway. But the point is that the, the the verse itself was kind of like a super diss of Tupac Shakur, 
And Buster Rhymes wanted no part of that shit, so he di- uh, he dingied it. He was like, "That's not happening." So it was never released, which is a shame. But it's like I said, it's people like Biggie Smalls. I think, but they really helped propel Jay Dilla to the level of recognition he probably deserved. Uh, Biggie Smalls uh, became the notorious B.I.G. And the reason he became the notorious B.I.G. was because an actor called Calvin Lockhart uh, took him to court. Calvin Lockhart had been in a 1975 film called "Let's Do It Again." I, I don't know if it was a black exploitation film. I can't remember. But in that film, he played a character called Biggie Smalls, and he he sued. Uh, what's Biggie Smalls' name again? Yeah. I'm not. I'm not huge as familiar with with Crawford or something like that. Some mundane. Anyway, he sued him, and he had to change his name. That's why Biggie Smalls became the notorious Big. So Calvin Lockhart was uh, in a series of films, all quite obscure to start with, but then he he made a bit of a step up with Fire Walk with Me, the Twin Peaks movie, and he was also in Predator Two. Mm-hmm. Uh, Underrated. Yeah, yeah, very underrated. It's one of those slow burners that's going to come back. Um, he, he played a character called King Willie. You remember King Willie? Mm-hmm. Guy mm-hmm. with dreads that like reads the prediction in the bones and then shortly after gets iced by yep. the Predator. Mm-hmm. So uh, Predator 2 was a sequel to Predator 1, which starred Arnold Schwarzenegger. Arnold Schwarzenegger was also a star of Terminator and Terminator 2 and Terminator 3. Well, no, was he in 3? No, fuck it. Yeah, he's in all of them. He, anyway, his likeness uh, at least is in all of them. He, he was in uh, Terminator, which was directed by James Cameron. James Cameron was married to the director Catherine Bigelow for two years. I was going to take a sojourn into the film um, Strange Days again because I found out some amazing stuff about Strange Days, uh, including that the big party scene in it was a legitimate party where they cordoned off this huge part of New York City. They charged $10 a ticket. Five people nearly died because of ecstasy. They had like <laughs> bands and artists, FX Twin, Skunk and Ancy and stuff, playing like almost an imitation festival for the shooting of the film. There's loads of interesting stuff about that film and the fact that it was a massive box office flop. Massive box office flop that has become one of these sort of abiding a bit like dread it's, it's become like it's acquired a cult status since then and it's kind of its reputation's just grown i watched it last week actually to catch up on it um but anyway catherine bigelow married to, uh, for two years to james cameron in what year was it 2013 i think it was uh, the writer journalist naomi wolf compared catherine bigelow to lenny riefenstahl <laughs> In an article in The Guardian uh, Because of Catherine Bigelow's film Zero Dark Thirty Which kind of told the story of the the hunting and execution of Osama Bin Laden And she described it as being a torture apologism Basically saying And and, you know made this kind of quite Spurious sort of comparison to Lenny Reeves You could say tortured comparison Tortured comparison yeah there you go Triumph of the Will is the very famous 1935 film by Lenny Riefenstahl glorifying the National Socialist regime in Germany. Yes, we're not the Nazis. It didn't take that long. Triumph of the Will the ends uh, with a scene in which Hitler and other Nazi leaders are singing uh, the Horst Wescher Lied, which is a song that became like the anthem of the brown shirts in, in Nazi Germany, uh, just as the camera kind of pulls out and focuses on the giant swastika banner behind them. The, the album Brown Book by the band Death in June is currently banned in Germany and the reason it's banned is because it features excerpts of the Horst Wäscher Lied for the very reason that it is like prohibited um, and Death in June uh, if you don't know them are a, is a sort of neo-folk project run by a guy called Douglas Pierce or Douglas P. It's formed in 1981. They've had albums that are sort of post-punk and industrial and stuff but they're basically a neo-folk thing uh, who have also dabbled with the far right and yeah you're 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 probably going to get cancelled if you've got too many of the records um 
they also at various points featured other musicians, including a guy called David Tibbet, who does other neo-folk stuff and has his own uh, skeletons in his closet. Uh, and also a guy called Boyd Rice from 1989. Boyd Rice is an interesting character. Um, yeah, Death in June, by the way, in case you're wondering why they're cancelled, there's many, many reasons. I won't go into detail, you can find them out yourselves, but some of them include the fact that they basically took themselves off the bills of festivals when the festivals announced that they were anti-racism or anti-fascist. Um, and they've released various things on far-right labels, uh, including in Eastern Europe. Uh, and for example, appearing on a Lenny Riefenstahl tribute album. <laughs> Which is not Bold. something that happens every day. Yeah, that that label that released that have released the tribute albums to any number of famous Nazi artists, which is good. Um, but that guy Boyd Rice that worked with Death and June uh, also records as a, an act called Non N O N, um, and he, I mean Non's, I a lot of people that are into like Fad Gadget and. Uh, Skinny Puppy and some Throbbing Gristle, some of that kind of like really dark industrial stuff are really into non, but um, in the late 1980s, now this is so weird, in the late 1980s, Boyd Rice posed in a film, uh, posed for a photo shoot with a guy called Bob Hike. Bob Hike uh, is part of the American Front, which is clearly a, a white supremacist neo-Nazi group. The photo shoot, and I could not find out enough about this to possibly satisfy my curiosity, but the photo shoot was for fucking Sassy magazine, which was a girl's teenage magazine in in the United States from, like, the late 80s into the 90s that had, like, Kurt and Courtney on the cover and all these kind of, like, you know, troubled teen, sort of late teen stories and gossip and things like this. Why the fuck they were taking a photo of Boyd Rice and Bob Hike? I have no idea. Um, Boyd Rice has also appeared on a TV show with the guy Tom Metzger, who I'm sure we're all pretty familiar with, or at least his reputation as a neo-Nazi. Um, Boyd Rice and Non, his uh, 1997 album God and Beast was recorded with various people, including Rose McDowell of Strawberry Switchblade, a Scottish musician, but... Uh, other people involved, that guy Douglas Pierce of Death in June and a guy called David Hellion. David Hellion is the frontman of a hardcore band called Integrity. Mark, you know Integrity? Yep, I know Integrity. Yep. Uh, David Hellion, weirdly as well, now has a project called Irons with Jacob Bannon of Converge, which mm-hmm. is a little bit strange. Uh, David Integrity Hellion... Integrity well-known, man. They're, they're, they're seen as being hugely influential. Yeah, so David Hellion and Boyd Rice are really, really good buds, which is really interesting given Boyd Rice's extremely questionable reputation uh, for neo-Nazism and various iconography of of the Third Reich. Uh, But in January 2009, Integrity were due to play and there was a call put out for people to boycott their shows due to them having keyed... Uh, a van, like scratched the side of the van with metal and then slashed all the tyres and the call was put out by a Mr Rick Healy aka Rick to Life because the van had belonged to 25 to Life and uh, he claimed that Integrity had fucked up the van at a festival in Belgium Wow Interesting that, That was a journey, thanks for that Sorry Enjoyed that, I enjoyed that I had to get my Nazi fix <laughs> Had to As had always to. I just don't like letting these fuckers off the hook. Um, Great, well, so what are we doing next week? Right, well, I'm very quickly going to offer you guys a choice. I've got four possibles. One of them is an emo kind of pop-punk classic. One of them is controversial. 
One of them is a very unusual choice, and one of them is a big rock guaranteed bullseye. I think okay. unusual. Mark? Yeah, I was going to go with a big unusual. rock guaranteed bullseye, but um, let's go okay. unusual. Wow, okay. Uh, unusual, we are going to go with Coralities by the pianist Lubomir Melnik. We have never done what I think basically amounts to classical music. Uh, neoclassical, at least. Just when I thought you couldn't get any more wanky, Chris, you just going to do something like this. <laughs> oh, th- this one is an absolute belter because if you guys dig into this guy's patter, you're going to have a field day. I think you, I think you mentioned some of it in the, ha- in the, in the pandemic. Yeah, I've discussed this guy's patter in the pandemic episode. He is a piece of work, um, but also <laughs> his, this album is just an absolutely astonishing achievement. So yeah, Coralities by Lubomir Melnik. Great. I'm excited. Okay. Cool. Do you want to pick an Nexus? Aye. Sorry, I mislaid my pot. Uh, if you have any suggestions, by the way, can you please uh, make them on our Facebook page? That would be awesome. still got a lot here, but David, you tell me when to stop. Stop. Okay. It's a good face. Is that is that a reused one? Uh, I, don't, I, I don't really I'm, I'm struggling to read my own handwriting um, I'm just going to read it Because you guys won't be able to read this If I hold it up to the camera Lisa Novak As chosen by Catalyze Who I think is a fan on Twitter I recognise okay. the name um, mm-hmm. Yeah, Lisa Novak I'm going to have to look up and find out who that is But I think we she's, will find out next week I believe she might be an astronaut Oh, oh. that's a good one then Yeah, Nice mm-hmm. Classical musician tash, not interesting. Okay, let's let's do this. (laughs) Um, Cool. All right, lovely. Great stuff. Well, thank you very much for listening, guys. Go vote on the Facebook page, please. And uh, we'll get you back here next week. Bye. Awesome. Bye.